We understand that at the coming of Christ, much Old Testament scripture will be fulfilled and it details for us what will happen. We've looked at how uh, nature, the curse upon nature itself, the animal kingdom will be as it were rolled back. We see the effects of the curse as it were on humanity is rolled back, if you will, and we will begin once again to live Uh, longer lives as it was before the flood, and perhaps that could be because the curse on nature is rolled back. We see so many promises in the Old Testament that will be fulfilled at the coming of Christ when He establishes His kingdom. So it is, as Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 says, we are looking for that blessed hope. There's a lot of promises to come with His coming. And our next step in in the study of Revelation as we're moving towards a close seems to be slowly but surely, but we're moving there. The next step in Revelation chapter 20 is we are told with those who rule and reign with Him. Those who rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years and we have what is called the first resurrection and many promises that are there. But I want to stop for this evening and kind of put a pause button. Because we have a tendency to laser focus in on promises like that. And rightly so. They are great promises. But in doing so, and in talking about those promises yet to come, we can kind of lose grasp on the present. We become starry-eyed, as it were. And what we can do, especially as we look towards end time things, is we can forget the impact that the future has on right now. The things that we believe in, the promises to come, they have a very real impact on right now. And it especially does when it comes to the kingdom. Because though in one sense we are waiting for the kingdom to come, in one sense we are not. In one sense, the kingdom of God is future, and the reign of Christ is future, yet to come. And in another sense, it is not. In fact, it is here, and it is active, and it is present. Well, how so? I want to turn your minds to that a little bit tonight, so take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to a few scriptures, Uh, just a a selection of few that will give you the sense of what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 3 is where I want to start this evening. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, Matthew 3 and 1 says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, let's just hold it there for a second. Remember, phrases like this would bring to mind any any Israelite, really, who knew their scriptures, and they all pretty much did, it would bring to, to their minds all of these promises in the Old Testament about the king and the kingdom which is to come, the very things that we've been studying over the past couple of weeks, of how he would put down opposition, how he would elevate Jerusalem, how he would rule and his law would go forth, and all nations would come to it, and the aspects of the restoration of nature and of the animal kingdom and of things of all all that we've looked at. So when John comes on the scene saying, hey, the kingdom of heaven is here, people would listen. Verse 3, For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. His message has an impact. Hey, it's time to repent. The kingdom is at hand. Now I'll turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 1. Just one book over in the New Testament. Mark chapter 1. These may be familiar to you and hopefully they are underlined or outlined in your Bible. They are important and they are familiar to us for a reason. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. In Matthew chapter 3, we get John the Baptist's arrival on the scene and his message. In John, excuse me, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, we get the arrival of Jesus himself. And notice his message. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Also, he's saying the same thing. He's preaching the gospel, but the gospel here has another descriptor given to it. It is the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. And what is that news? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus, when he begins his ministry from the very start, preaches the gospel of the kingdom, that the kingdom is here. He's saying the same thing as John, bringing to mind all of those promises of the, of the Old Testament. That kingdom is here now. And it doesn't stop there. He begins to do many great things proving he is the king, proving he is bringing the kingdom in. Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 8. Turn there if you would. The book of Luke, chapter 8. And notice in verse 1, Luke 8 and 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. See, he now begins to embark on this ministry where he shows proof of the kingdom, that he is the one who has power over the demonic realm. He is the one who has power over the physical realm. And he shows it by his signs, and not only by his signs, but more importantly, by his words. He's preaching and showing the glad tidings or the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And who is with him? The twelve. The twelve who he has called to himself, called out so that they may follow him. We know this twelve, these twelve to be the twelve apostles, the twelve disciples, his very church that he has founded Luke chapter 9 and verse 11 and again these are just a very few scriptures if you were to look in your concordance every time the word kingdom is mentioned you'll find verse after verse and I encourage you to do so when you have time look and see how many times the kingdom is mentioned just in the four gospels and as you do keep in mind all that we've read and all the old testament promises Luke chapter 9 and verse 11, And the people, when they knew it, followed him, and he received them, and spake unto them of the kingdom of God, and healed them that had need of healing. He is speaking, he is showing the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 10 and verse 8. Luke chapter 10 and verse 8, As he sends out 
uh, his called ones to the nation of Israel to go preach to his own nation. This is what is called the limited commission, but that's for another time. Just notice what he says, Luke chapter 10 and verse 8. And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. The kingdom of God has come near to those cities, whether they receive or not. It has come near to those cities because the agents of the kingdom have come into those cities. Sent by the king to be his ambassadors to preach the very same gospel of the kingdom, they are able to say the kingdom of God has come near to you. Luke chapter 11 and verse 20. Luke 11 and verse 20. Jesus speaking against opposition as he says this, Luke 11 and verse 20, But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Again, by what he says and what he does, there is no mistaking who he is. And he says, I cast out devils, which he did multiple times. The book of Mark over and over and over, if you remember our study through Mark, Demon after demon after demon is cast out to show that Christ has absolute power. He says, I cast them out with the finger of God. There is no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. Luke 17 and verse 20. I want you to pay careful attention to this. This will be a jumping off point here. Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, they're asking him, right? You're talking about this kingdom. You're, you're doing things that nobody else can do, as Nicodemus would say to him in John chapter 3. When is the kingdom coming? Okay, the kingdom of God is here. When is the kingdom coming? And it showed their lack of faith. They were looking for that immediate um, installment of him as supreme king of the earth, of the lifting up of Jerusalem, the putting down of all nations in opposition, opposition to Israel and the rolling back of the curse and all the things that they talk about. They say, okay, you've been talking about it. When are you actually going to do it? That's what they're asking. When is the kingdom of God going to come? And notice the answer he gives. He answered them and said in verse 20, the end of verse 20, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is among you. He says it's right here. You've missed it, guys. It's right here. The kingdom of God is among you. Well, how so? Listen, the kingdom is where the king is. The kingdom is where the king is. That's how he could say the kingdom of God is at hand. That's how John could say that. Christ could say that. That's how Christ could teach about it so often. How so? Well, how is the kingdom at hand? Because the king was at hand. And when he came on the scene, the kingdom was there. And he made 
No doubt of it by the things that He said and by the things that He did. Christ did things no one else can do. No one else has ever done. He showed power that no one else has. Proving that He is the King. And He says the kingdom is at hand because I am here. That was His answer to the Pharisees. The kingdom is among you. I am standing right here. You're looking for other things. You're looking in the wrong places. I am here. You see, the King is with His people. And He always has been. You can look in the Old Testament, and we won't go there for the sake of time, but you can see very clearly the dwelling place of God was with His people on the Ark of the Covenant in the mercy seat where the glory, the Shekinah glory of God was with Israel. So much so that Only priests, only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies where the dwelling place of God was. That's what made Israel special is the dwelling place of God, the presence of God with them. We can see it in the Old Testament. We can see it in the New Testament in the words of Christ when He tells His disciples, He tells His twelve, His called out ones, I will be in you. I will come to you. I will not leave you. Lo, I am with you always. There is no mistaking. The king is with his people and the kingdom is where the king is. The apostles, as they wrote later, specifically the apostle Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2, says, ye are a holy temple. In the Lord, talking to the church at Ephesus and by extension all of his local bodies. You are a holy temple in the Lord, builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. See, we church, we as each church are builded together to be the dwelling place of God. Just the same as the mercy seat was in the Old Testament, so is the church in the New Testament. God's dwelling place. And because of His presence, the kingdom is where God is. God's people have been, and God's people are, the visible representation, the visible, of, the visible ambassadors of the invisible kingdom of God, as it were. You see, Christ isn't here reigning physically yet. There are some things that are yet to happen that are not physically seen, and they will be when He returns. But that does not mean Christ does not reign now. Oh, He does. You see, His kingdom is still at hand because the King is here in His people. And that, beloved, should cause us to stop and think. We get so caught up in longing for and waiting for the kingdom that is to come. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. To want to to have Christ here and to to want to be with Him. There's, There's nothing wrong with that, provided we don't forget that we're part of it now. We are part of it now, part of God's kingdom. We are agents of His kingdom, citizens of His kingdom. And let's not get so starry-eyed and future-focused that we forget there's a job for us to do now as part of His kingdom. 
I want you to notice something Jesus prays in John chapter 17. So turn there, if you would, John chapter 17. What is called the high priestly prayer of Christ as he prays, I believe, in the Garden of Gethsemane as he is facing the cross. He says many precious things here, but just want to turn your attention to one of them. Let's look in verse 11. He says, Now I am no more in the world. He's about to... He knows what's coming. The cross is coming. The burial, the resurrection is coming. And the ascension is coming. And he knows that even, even though he's going to send the Holy Spirit as he does on the day of Pentecost, there is going to be uh, a vacuum, if it would, created in the hearts and the, the human hearts and the human minds of the apostles because they can't see him. Though the Holy Spirit will empower them and though they will be radically changed, it's interesting to note what he says in verse 11. I'm no more with them, but these are in the world. I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of, them lo- none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, that these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You see how he's praying over his church? I'm going to leave them, but I've given them everything, and you're going to keep them. I've given you, I've given them your word. Notice the end of verse 14. The world hates them because they are not of the world. There's a change that has taken place. There's a transference as Colossians, the book of Colossians chapter 1 says, we have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. To God's kingdom To the kingdom which Jesus tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus says, I'm going out of the world and my people are going to stay here in this world. They're going to need your protection and I've given them your word, Father. Verse 15, I pray that thou should, I pray that thou shouldest take them, excuse me, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He's saying, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, Father, but that you keep them from the evil in the world. Because they're now just like me. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. We are here, representatives of Christ, changed by His mighty power through salvation, through giving our lives to Him. And we are no longer of this world. And we need to be careful that we don't long so much to get out of this world that we forget we have a job to do in this world. Jesus didn't pray to take us out. He says to keep us from the evil while we are here in this world. You see, the kingdom of God through the church is a sharp contrast to the corrupt worldly kingdom that we're living in especially in our day. Listen, make no mistake, we are in a worldly corrupt kingdom. 
America may have had its great times, but that greatness is fading fast. And Scripture proves it. And we might, so, we might long so much for it to go back to the glory days, or we long so much for Christ to come and make it all better again. Don't forget, we are to be ambassadors of that kingdom. We are to preach the very same thing that John the Baptist did, the very same thing our Savior did. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. And that will be in sharp contrast to what's around us. We live in a kingdom of truth. Excuse me. We are a kingdom of truth living in a kingdom of darkness. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Again, a passage I visit frequently because it speaks so much to the fallenness around us. We have been given the word of truth. We have been given the protection of the Father to keep us from the evil while we are here in the world. And we are to be ambassadors, preachers, Heralds of that truth, heralds of the kingdom that we are a part of, and it will be in sharp contrast to that which is around us. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The wrath of God is always revealed against sin. So when you see the wrath of God coming down, you know there must be ungodliness. You know there must be unrighteousness. And America now is facing the wrath of God. Verse 19, Because that which, is, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it to them. For even the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seeing, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Anyone, any human being, with any kind of understanding at all, can look around and understand that there is a Creator. And if there is a Creator, which is clearly seen in the things that are made, then we have a responsibility to that Creator. It means that we are not the supreme God, there is someone who is above us, who has made us, who has made everything around us. We are without excuse. Even though we may come up with excuses, even though we may fabricate fantasies about how things may have come to be, just a simple look around, it can be clearly understood that we are made by a Creator. His power can be seen and therefore we are without excuse. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. That is modern science. That is modern uh, politics. That is modern society. We know God. We know His existence. We hear the truth, but we turn away from it as a human race. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And I'll touch on this in just a minute. But the things that are coming out of modern society, the things that are coming out of modern science is foolish. It's foolish. It's fantasy. But yet people claim to be so wise. And they change, verse 23, the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made into 
made like to corruptible man and the birds and the four-footed beasts and creeping things. We understand this. We see it around us. Here's where the wrath of God comes in. And here's where the wrath of God has been in place for decades in our country. Verse 24, wherefore God gave them up. God gave them up. The phrase denotes somebody giving somebody up to prison or to execution or to judgment. Delivering them over. Basically, God is saying, you want that so much? Fine, have it. You want this so much in the place of me or in the place of my truth? Fine, have it. Notice the progression. Wherefore God gave them up unto uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. We're talking here of fleshly perversion, sexual perversion. And we've seen that in what we could call the sexual revolution that happened decades ago and things that were once taboo, things that were once kept hush, hush, things that were once looked down on society now <clears throat> have become normal. Pornography is normal. Unfaithfulness, adultery and marriage is normal. It is protected. It is promoted. Don't think that won't bring the wrath of God. It has. Marriage is broken up. Families broken up. Divorce rates skyrocketing to where that is more normal now. Multiple marriages is more normal now than one man and one woman staying together for life. It's the wrath of God. Verse 26, we have another step. For this cause God gave them up into vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was meet. We have the homosexual revolution, which again has happened in our country decades ago. The Bible is very clear Women have a natural use. Men have a natural use. And to go against that, homosexuality goes against that. And what God calls a sin against, again, has become protected. And all who speak against that are criminals. The phrases I've just said will be branded as hate speech in today's society. And it brings the wrath of God. leading to what we face today, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, we got to get that out. we got to get that influence out. I don't want to hear about God. I don't want you to tell me about God or about His truth. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And it goes on to list many things you could find for the sake of time we'll Just focus on that phrase, a reprobate mind, literally a useless mind, one that cannot think straight, one that cannot process information, cannot form rational thoughts. We see that today. People can't think straight because they are so given over to sin and so anti-God that their mind is literally reprobate. The latest count, according to science, some people in science, is 100 genders. 100 different genders. That is not thinking rationally. That is insane. But that is the mind of society. 
And we could list so many different things. I read an article touting creationism. Now, creationism, which is, as they defined, a belief as a special creation and that the earth and humanity itself is less than 10,000 years old. By the way, that's a direct attack against the truth of Scripture. Scripture clears it up. It's very, very simple. From the get-go, it tells us what we need to know. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Boom, done, period. That's simple truth. A simple truth that science is still trying to debunk. And their answers that they come up with are theories. I don't believe in a theory. I believe in the truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They say that belief now is a long-perpetrated conspiracy. Creationism is a long-perpetuated, long-perpetrated, long-spread conspiracy theory. And that conspiracy theory of creationism has fueled all the attacks on science. And it has fueled the attacks against uh, human sexuality. It has fueled the false conspiracy of the stolen election and the horrible assault on the Capitol building that just happened. They are blaming what happened on biblical truth. This is a debased mind. A debased mind that is rampant in our nation and it proves that the wrath of God has fallen upon us. Why? Verse 25 They changed the truth of God into a lie. That's the base. That's the basis of it. Truth is the enemy today. Truth is the enemy. Lies are the normal. It is lies that are accepted, lies that are promoted, lies that are protected. We make laws as a nation now to protect lies. And when someone gets in a position of power, like the big bad orange man, who will stand at least on the side of truth, it puts society that so loves the lies in an uproar. This should not surprise us. We get so surprised when these things happen. Satan, who is the father of lies, according to Jesus in John chapter 8, has been at this from the beginning. That's been his goal from the beginning, to attack truth, to spread lies. Does he not say in the garden, did God really say that? Hath God said? Are you, are you sure that's what he meant? You're not going to die. I know God told you you're going to die. You're not going to die. And there from the get-go, he is spreading lies. Lies. To say, well, God didn't mean that, or God didn't say that. And if you can cast doubt on one of God's words, well, then doubt can spread to the rest. And if you can't believe some of what God says, how can you believe all of what God says? Which leads to, we can't believe anything God says. And age after age, we've seen this downward spiral of Romans chapter 1 played out over and over again. And here in America, in 2021, truth is the enemy. We are in that world. You understand? Jesus prays, I don't want you to take them out of the world, Father, but protect them from the evil that is in the world. In our world that we face, truth is the enemy. Speak it and be silenced. Speak the truth and be censored, canceled. Speak the truth and be hated, 
And so we move to erase it from culture. Don't let the Bible be freely spoken. Don't let the Bible be freely taught. Erase the truth from our history. Erase those who stood for biblical truth from our history. The latest thing I think I've heard was Abraham Lincoln is being erased from history books. Not only just be, I, I, I don't see how they could when he's done so many things to, so many great things to uh, emancipate slaves and abolish slavery, but mainly because he spoke biblical truth. Yeah, I, I may not believe with him 100% on, on all his, of his theology, but I know the man spoke biblical truth and he believed in God and, and uh, knew Christ as his Savior. Well, when somebody speaks truth like that, that stuff has a nasty habit of coming up, especially since it's part of our nation's history. Erase it. Get rid of it. And so we move to do so. Shut down avenues that might spread the truth. Enact control that allows truth to be silenced and lies to be told and accepted in exchange for the truth. Yes, truth is the enemy. That's the world we live in. So what do we do? Do we simply laser focus on the kingdom yet to come and hold on till we get there because it'll all be right then and we'll just kind of hunker down and be quiet in the meantime? No, we do not. We are part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom that is at hand, the kingdom that is here because the king is with us. We need to realize there is a work to do. We have been as his kingdom people given his truth. Did he not say that in John 17? I've given him your word. And he goes on to say in John 17 and verse 17, Thy word is truth. You see, we have the power that cancels the lies around us. Truth is the power. Truth might be the enemy, but truth is the power that cancels all lies. The simplest truth destroys the darkest and most elaborate lie. You can say there's a hundred genders. You can say there's 50 genders. You can say there's three or four genders. The simple truth biologically is there is two. And the Bible tells us from the get-go, God made them male and female. And people can hate that. People can rebel against it. People can say, I don't feel like that. It doesn't change the truth. And the truth cancels the lie, period. That is the power of our kingdom. The world can say what it wants. We speak the simple, provable truth of the Bible and it cancels the lies. That's why the world hates it. But yet that is the power of our king, the power of our kingdom. Truth that shatters lies. Truth that frees people. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John chapter 8. Our king says in John chapter 14, I am the truth. And we as his people go with our king who is with us. Do you understand that? Jesus said, I am with you always. So when we go into the darkness of the world, we go as his kingdom agents, we go proclaiming that kingdom, our king goes with us. Oh, can you imagine how powerful that would have been in the olden days with the king of 
England or the king of Scotland or whoever it is for his, him to walk among his subjects. There would be no opposition. There would be worship. There would be uh, uh, reverence given. Our king, the king of heaven, goes with us. Do we realize that? That as we proclaim that truth, we proclaim that truth as... Oh, I didn't write down the reference. I think it's Philippians. It says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Does that not ring true? For us today, that we go in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights. We go with our King. And make no mistake, we are not powerless in this. I want you to notice just a, a two, two or three more scriptures before we close. Very quickly, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Go there, underline this, outline this, memorize this. This is truth, simple truth. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3, For we walk in the flesh, though we do not war after the flesh. Though we, we, he's, not, he's not talking about the flesh like sinful as sometimes the Bible will. No, he's talking about in this body. Though we are in this body, the war that we fight is not according to this body. For the weapons, verse 4, of our warfare are not carnal. They're spiritual. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That word strongholds is fortresses, uh, castles, these these, uh, armored places of evil. The things that we think we can never overcome. We could never overcome the kind of spiritual wickedness that is in Washington or in our schools or in our society. Yes, we can through God. Because the weapons we have, the simple truth of God's Word, is mighty to pull those down, to cast down, verse 5, imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That is the power that we go in as we go with the truth of the Word that breaks down all the lies, all the high lofty thoughts, and the truth of the Word brings into captivity it's power that will do what Paul says in Acts chapter 26. It will open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by, sanctified by faith. It is the truth of God as we proclaim it that abolishes the lies, that gets rid of the darkness, that opens people, frees them from their sins, and turns them to God. We are not waiting for Christ to do that when He comes. We have that power and that calling now through our King, through His Holy Spirit that He has given to us. We have the power to assault the kingdom of darkness. We are to be on the offensive, not the defensive. Hey, listen, what we see going on, it's time to be real Christians now. It's not time to go run and hide. It's time to strap on the sword and go meet the gates of hell as they come from us and realize that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We do not need the government's blessing to be prosperous. We do not need the government's support to be prosperous. We do not need the support and the, the, uh, the like of society to be about the kingdom business. No, all we need is our king who said, I am with you always. We are to go 
spreading the same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's who we are. We are not powerless. We're not some group of cowering, afraid people. We are the kingdom of God. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 says, you, are, you as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are a holy nation a royal priesthood. Revelation chapter 1. I want you to see this as the last place will be. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. Revelation 1 and verse 5 says this. John is writing in his introduction to the letter. He says this, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, or the ruler of the kings of the earth, Does he not have that title in Revelation 19? King of kings and Lord of lords. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. He has made us kings and priests or a kingdom of priests. That just simply means we have direct access. You know, I don't have to go through a priest to go to God. I can go right to the throne of grace itself, right into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Christ and have direct access to God Himself. Part of His kingdom of priests. His agents, His ambassadors, His faithful servants. All I simply want to do this evening is give you a reminder of who we are right here and right now. We get so focused. Yes, there is coming a day when He will reign supreme and it will be amazing and His truth and His righteousness will be over all the earth physically. But that doesn't mean He's not doing the very same thing now through us spiritually. That's why He says, Go into all the earth and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark chapter 16. Why? We are bringing that spiritual kingdom to all the earth. It's who we are, His kingdom. So let me just remind you of that, even in the face of darkness, even in the face of lies around us, even in the face of this world that hates us, that changes nothing of who we are. We are His kingdom people, here and now, about His kingdom business, saying the very same thing. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's at hand because the king is here with us and goes with us as we preach that gospel. And let me just end with this to preface, to prepare for what we'll talk about next week. We are here enacting his rule and reign through his spiritual kingdom now. We are his agents. We are his voice we are His hands and feet, as you were. Uh, Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We pray you in Christ's stead, standing in, in His place, saying, Be reconciled to God. We are His voice, if you will. Enacting His rule and reign spiritually. 
that will roll right into the millennium when we do so physically. You see, the ones who rule and reign with Him for a thousand years are the ones who are ruling and reigning with Him now in His spiritual kingdom. So I simply say, though that is a focus and we can spend so much time with it, don't forget the kingdom you are a part of now. A kingdom that has all that power, all that responsibility, and all that blessing. I pray the, the words have been a blessing to you.